everybody. How you doing? And welcome to the John Riley Project. It's Wednesday. It's hump day. It's a great day outside and really excited to come at you again with another podcast episode. We're going to be talking about vaccine passports today. Uh, vaccine passports are kind of an interesting topic in the news, and there's just some news coming out about it. So I thought I'd explore that topic with you. Uh, but, you know, thanks for joining me on the live stream. You know, it's um, live streamed on Facebook and on YouTube. Just type your comments and questions in, and I'll be happy to read them on the air. We'll have a little bit of a discussion, a conversation. But, you know, thanks for joining us. I really appreciate it. You know, we um, we broadcast here from the city in the country, Poway, California, 92064. And so, you know, I kind of like to mix in some local topics, some national topics. And and I guess really before I really jump in and do the deep dive on the on the vaccine passports, I do want to just make a couple of comments uh, about our podcast on Monday. And that was with David Leland. And I really want to thank David for coming out and joining me again. Uh, David, of course, uh, you know, a, a great local here in Poway, um, a young aspiring sports journalist and always has great takes, great opinions on the Padres, the Aztecs. And we did a season preview on the Padres. And I hope for those of you that listened or watched, I hope you really enjoyed it. Um, but, you know, today is sort of like Christmas Eve, but it's more like baseball opening day Eve. So I, I get excited about baseball opening day. In fact, um, when my business, you know, right now I tell you, I, I do a lot of consulting work. I work from home. But at one point, you know, my business, I had a staff and office and everything. And I always gave my my coworkers this day off. Um, I thought it was a special perk that I could do as, or excuse me, gave tomorrow off, opening day off. And I always thought that was a kind of a cool, special perk that I could offer as a small business owner. Because to me, opening day for baseball is almost like a national holiday if you're a baseball fan, because it's such a big day. Um, but I don't know. I, I'm just really optimistic about the Padres. And I, I just wanted to share some thoughts on the podcast, the conversation with David. I, th- I really do think that we're looking at a great season that's coming in front of us. Um, I, you know, I have my own concerns about the whole plan, but I mean, it's amazing how much depth is on this team. I mean, the 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 roster, like the bench players used to be starters for us in previous seasons, but we have like great depth. We have flexibility. Lots of guys can play different positions. So if one guy goes down, they have a lot of options on how to fill in those holes. Um, and then they still have all that young minor league talent that's available that can be tapped in as well. So this this season, 2021 for the Padres, there's just so much opportunity to feel like there's hope, like we can maybe break the San Diego sports curse. But, you know, there's there's still some concerns. I mean, you know, Chris Paddock, I think, is going to be I would well, he's I think he was slated to be the number five starter. But since Denilson Lamette's on the DL, he's probably going to be the number four. There's some legit concerns about him. You know, he had that great rookie season. He struggled last year. Can he right the ship here in 2021 for his, his third season? And his last um, outing for spring training was not good. It was like six earned runs in one third of an inning. So he's a guy to root for. I mean, I've talked about Chris Paddock a lot on this podcast. He's a guy that when he was at his best is when he believed in himself. And you know, he has a relentless kind of, uh, what's the right word, kind of um, 
emblazed or branded on his glove. He's all about believing in himself. But I really think what happened last season is he lost that belief in himself. He lost um, he, he lost confidence. He he began to listen to social media critics. And I think that's another great piece of advice that we can learn from players like this is that while we do believe in ourselves, and while there'll certainly be some critics that can be constructive and maybe help us be better, for the most part, you just got to ignore those people. There's always going to be people trying to tear you down. And doesn't it's not just as a as a ball player, but maybe it's what you do in your personal life, in your business life, the hobbies and things that you pursue in your life. Sometimes you just got to not listen to critics and you just got to pursue your own happiness. And I hope Chris Paddock can kind of right the ship and get back to that. I think he, his brother is always on social media kind of touting um, Chris and the work that he's doing. And his brother is a great fan. But sometimes I wonder if the brother and the social media, and because he's really active on Twitter with Padres Twitter, sometimes I wonder if that kind of filters back to Chris and then he begins listening to the critics. And then the minute he has, let's say, a bad pitch, a bad at bat, and then he loses confidence and it goes all out the window. Maintaining our self-esteem is so critical. And it's a it's a ongoing process that I struggle with. And frankly, part of doing this podcast is kind of a boost for me to kind of push myself and to build self-confidence. I hope that Chris Paddock's going to figure things out. But even if he doesn't, I mean, the Padres have got, you know, uh, David Weathers and uh, Mackenzie Gore and Adrian Morhone, and there's a lot more pitching depth. So I'm excited about that. Um, What else? Uh, I was today I rolled into I I always tell you, I I have my business P.O. box at the Postal Annex here in Poway, right next door to the Target. And I love going in there. The guy that runs it, his name is Dennis, and we always talk sports. He's a big L.A. Dodgers fan. And we were just saying, hey, man, it's tomorrow's opening day, and we're kind of you know sharing the good vibes. And I commented, I go, you know, this is setting up to be like, could be a great rivalry between the Dodgers and Padres. And he pointed out, he goes, you know, you're right. It could be a great rivalry, but it's not a rivalry yet. And I'm like, yeah, he's right. It's still not a rivalry yet, but it's setting up to be that way. And we see, you know, so much confidence, so much is being written about in the press about how the Padres and the Dodgers are the class of the National League, but they're in the same division and they're likening it to the Yankees and the Red Sox rivalry. And I know I think it's really exciting. Um but, you know, he's a big Dodger fan and mostly because he lived a great deal of his childhood in the L.A. area. So he said tomorrow he'll be wearing his Dodger jersey, you know, here in Poway on baseball's opening day. And I'm sure hopefully some Padre fans will go in there and give him the business. But he says he runs into a lot of L.A. fans that come in and, and visit with him. And that's another angle to this, which is so weird, is here in San Diego, um, you know, our sports teams have never been successful on – you know, there, there hasn't been any major sports championship since the Chargers won the AFL in 1963. Um, the, the Chargers in the NFL choked so many times. The Padres, uh, you know, decades of, of, of terrible teams. And I think a lot of Padre fans, or at least a lot of San Diego sports fans, they lose confidence and they just don't want to believe in the Padres, even though this year there is legitimate reason to be hopeful. But... 
you know, I still run into Dodger fans here in San Diego and I'll see them wearing an L.A. hat. I mean, even the guy that does my landscaping at my house. I live on two acres. Sometimes it's I can't do the landscaping by myself. So I have a guy help me out. And sometimes he wears the L.A. Dodgers hat. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, man, sorry. You know, my wife gave me this hat. But there's a lot of Dodger fans that are here in San Diego. But I'm always been convinced, and this is especially true back when the, the Chargers were playing in the NFL. I always thought that there's a certain number of people that are here in San Diego that gravitate to, well, back then, the Raiders, but in other cases would gravitate towards the Dodgers just because they get some sort of a perverse thrill out of poking San Diego fans. And then, you know, the whole bandwagon complex of, you know, a lot of the, you know, frankly, a lot of the LA teams have been very successful. So people jump on board that bandwagon. I just would love to see the scales balance a bit here, you know? Um, Heck, the Dodgers and the Lakers both won championships last year. Some would say you could put an asterisk on the season, but I'm again, I, I'm always at glass half full kind of guy. So I'm, I'm hopeful. You know, I was over at my client's office this morning. That's part of the reason I'm getting off to a little bit of a late start on the podcast today. But um, in my off, my, my client's large conference room on the big whiteboard, in the corner, someone who took out a little sharp, a little dry erase marker and wrote down, you know, prediction for number of Padre wins. And I'm down as 95. And there's a number of other employees that have written their number on the board. And it's funny is there's one of the guys there who's one of the guys in management. He's a big Dodger fan. So what does he write for the Padres win total for the year? 78. You know, of course, 81 is 500, right? 81 wins, 81 losses in a 162-game season. So he's the pessimist, but he's a Dodger fan poking the Padre fans. I'm, I'm going down for 95, and I know that the, that's what the Vegas oddmakers have set, the over-under, or maybe it's 94 and a half. And, you know, David and I were talking about that on Monday, but I'm, I'm hopeful. But there was a, there's, a, there's a young man in our, uh, in our meeting this morning, and He's like kind of one of the rising stars for my my client, and he's in his 30s, and he's being groomed for senior management, which, you know, good for him. And what was interesting is, is that he admits he's not really a baseball fan. You know, for him, it's the number three sport. He's more of a basketball and football guy. And, you know, he was saying, oh, more action. And, and you know, the, the guy that that really is the one that hires me, the one that pays my invoices, um, who's a guy I've had a relationship for a very long time. Um, he was uh, Pat Johnson on the live stream chiming in 102 wins for the Padres. Really? That's a lot. You know, um, when I was talking to Dennis over at Postal Annex here in Poway, he said one of the sports writers for ESPN is predicting that the Dodgers will win 118 games. Now, is that that might be a record if they actually pulled that off, or maybe the Mariners might have done that, you know, maybe 20 years ago. But still, Pat, if the Padres got over 100 wins, oh my God. But you know what? They finished last season 97 and 23 in a 60 game season. So if you do the math and project it out, what does that work out on 162 games? I know it's, I think it's got to be in the mid 90s. So if all goes well, you know, you might be right, Pat, 102, but. That's definitely glass very half full. <laughs> um, but anyways, back to, to this young man uh, that was in our meeting this morning and we were talking about it. And he's just not as much of a baseball fan. And he was 
saying how, you know, the game's kind of slow paced. And I mean, for me, that's what makes baseball so beautiful is that it is slow paced and you can relax when you watch a game, hang out with friends, have a cold one, have some good conversation during a game. A baseball game is a great thing to be to have on in the background on the radio or maybe on television. Heck, I remember when I was a small child. Well, not that small, but when I was a teenager and I had to do work around the house and pull weeds, I'd bring a transistor radio with me and I'd listen to the San Francisco Giants. Back then it was on KSFO 560. And it was a great way to pass the time. So I don't know. I, for me, I was brought up where baseball was the number one sport. If if you were a child in the 60s and 1970s, yeah, football really didn't start to become a big deal until the 1980s. Um you know, because the Super Bowls in the 70s, who was the halftime show? It was like, you know, the LSU marching band, if the Super Bowl happened to be in New Orleans. It's it wasn't until the 1980s that the Super Bowl became more of a spectacle. And I think the NFL really began drawing bigger ratings. And heck, you can go back to the 1970s. Back then, the NBA finals was on tape delay. I mean, you you had to watch it. You know, the game may have been already over and they show it late at night at 10 or 11 o'clock and the game has been over for four hours. So back when we were growing up, the baseball was the number one sport. So for me, it was always baseball, then basketball, then football in that order. Sometimes football ahead of basketball, but usually basketball was my number two and football my number three. But baseball was always number one by far. But things have changed. And, you know, with with um, social media and ESPN and the whole sports landscape has changed, faster, space, faster paced sports are more attractive. And I get that for younger people. Um, but there's still still lots of love for baseball, and I hope it continues into the future. Pat Johnson on the live stream said Seattle 2001, 116 wins. Yeah, so that's, I think, back when they had A-Rod and Griffey, and that was a good year. I, maybe even Randy Johnson was on that team. But, Pat, was is that the all-time record? Um, is, is that the record for Major League Baseball? There might have been the Yankees might have had a 118 season maybe back in the 90s. I'm not sure. But anyways, I'm just really excited. And for me, you know, tomorrow is opening day. There's hope. We, the Padres have assembled a great roster. Could they break the San Diego sports curse? You see, you know, speaking of the sports curse, you know, the Aztecs, you know, had a tough draw, pulled the Syracuse in the round one of the NCAA tournament. But one of the teams the Aztecs beat, the UCLA Bruins, they just made the final four last night. So again, L.A. over San Diego, even though San Diego got them in a head-to-head matchup, L.A. is the one that goes on to all the glory. They're in the final four. Can a San Diego team finally break through? And I think you know, there's, a, there's a decent chance that could happen, a better chance than San Diego's had in a very long time that we might see a winning team here. So I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. So... Anyways, David Leland, um, thanks for joining me last uh, Monday. And by the way, David has his own YouTube channel called San Diego Sports Insight. So, well, I would encourage you to check him out there if you're a big sports fan. But I just love what he's doing. And, I, and he's a young man pursuing his dreams. And, and I really hope that 
you know, he has a career ahead of him in sports journalism if he can get it all organized and good for him if he can pull it off, because I know that's a very competitive career space. But love having him, just love encouraging young people to pursue their dreams. And that's good news. Um, okay, so, you know, we uh, we post these episodes. Well, first of all, we do these episodes every Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 2. Today, I'm late. I had a meeting with my client and I had some urgent things I had to take care of my business. And, and so we got off to a little bit of a late start today. But it's usually every Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 2. And we talk about lots of things. You know, we talk about local things here in our city of Poway in San Diego County. Um, talking sports. We talk politics, culture, society issues. We get in electric vehicles sometimes. Talk about road trips and all kinds of other fun things. We have lots of guests on this show. I'm really proud that we've had so many political candidates that come on this podcast where we have great conversations. And I'm really hopeful that this COVID business will soon be in our rearview mirror and we can have guests back in my podcast studio, my converted living room. And I think that would be terrific if we can get back to it. But, you know, please, I encourage you follow us on Facebook on uh, John Riley Project on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter, John Riley. Poway is my Twitter uh, handle, John Riley Poway. Or even, you know, just chime in if you want to offer up some commentary. We have some pretty hot discussions, not only in Facebook as follow-ups on these podcasts, but also in the YouTube comments. You'd be surprised because, you know, we, we broadcast this. It's live streamed on Facebook and on YouTube. And then we do the audio only on all the potty, on all of the popular podcast platforms. So like Stitcher and Spotify and iHeartRadio and Pandora and Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, we're on all of those. All right. Pat Johnson says uh, Seattle's at the top. Yankees 114 in 19, 1998, the year they kicked our butt in the World Series. I went to two games during that series. Yeah, well, good for you, Pat, going to the World Series that year. Yeah, we got smoked. It was 4-0. See, again, San Diego sports curse, right? So the Padres finally make the World Series for the second time, and they face the Yankees, who had won 114 games that season, which I'm assuming was at or near an all-time Major League Baseball record for a year. Now, of course, Seattle went ahead to 116 wins in 2001. And then when the Padres made the World Series in 1984, they faced the Detroit Tigers, another a generational team, another one of the all-time great teams. It's like the Padres never get a chance to, you know, get like a lower seed. You know, if they happen to get to the World Series, if they do, they face the number one overall. Uh, again, more of the San Diego sports curse. We can even go on about that pitch that Mark Langston threw to, um, was it Tino Martinez? That should have been strike three. And then the next pitch after that, he hits a home run and it's all downhill from there. But good for you, Pat, for going to the World Series. I've never been to a World Series. I've been to, um, I went to some of the Padre playoff games back in 05, 06. Both times they faced the Cardinals and came up short. But yeah, maybe this year, maybe in 2021, the Padres are going to break through. Okay, um, now let's talk about vaccine passports. So this topic I've noticed in the last 24 hours has been electric on social media, especially in some of the um, the circles of people that I follow that typically are more libertarian oriented. Um, we're seeing a lot of objection and then a lot of criticism to 
not only the the idea of passport vaccines and people thinking that they're great or th- people thinking that they're terrible. So I just want to kind of go through this and break it down. And I'm very interested in your thoughts and comments. So what we're talking about here is a vaccine passport. And essentially what it is, is some kind of a paper document, or maybe it's something, you know, digital that you put on your phone, but it's something that shows that there's evidence that you've had a COVID vaccine um, and you've been inoculated. And normally we think of, you know, proof of vaccination. We do it with our kids, right? We, we, when we take them to public school, they've got to get all their shots and they keep the vaccination card on record there. Um, and then in some cases, we see that with travel, right? Especially we see that for foreigners when they come to the United States, sometimes they got to show proof of vaccinations. But generally, that's the only time that vaccinations are a qualifier to participate in society. It's usually related to public schools or to travel. But now there's talk about opening this up to making having a vaccine proof of vaccination or essentially a vaccine passport necessary just for everyday living, just for going to the store, going to the movies, um, you know, just by doing the normal things that you do, that you've got to be able to show proof of that of that vaccine. And for some people, they're saying, well, this is great. You know, we can open up our economy more safely and the people that aren't vaccinated, we can keep them out, maybe apply a little societal peer pressure on them to get a vaccine. Um, And for those that do show proof of it, well, they they can join us and we can participate in this economy and we can get this economy back on track. and, And there's a lot of people that think this is a terrific idea. But there's a downside to this that I think there's a lot of people that are criticizing it. And I think they're right because it feels like to me, almost like a, a dystopian sort of sci-fi movie, you know, like this Orwellian police state where, you know, figure just about a year ago, everyone was saying 15 days to flatten the curve, right? 15 days to flatten a curve. Now it's a year later and now it's going to be, show me your papers, right? Um, it's going to be like this sort of authoritarian thing. And it's, it's kind of scary. Um, Yuri Boland says, can you say scarlet letter? And Thank you, Yuri, for chiming in on the live stream. That's exactly what this is kind of shaping up to be. There's, there's definitely a downside to it. And in many ways, it's almost like, you know, the battle that goes on with people to wear masks. And that's a whole, <laughs> that's a whole rabbit hole we can go down. In fact, one of, uh, there's a person here in Poway, his name's Mike Devine, who is extraordinarily outspoken against masks. He's a big Trump fan. And I mean, Mike Devine, he, he, he comments on the podcast a lot. He's one of our regular listeners and viewers. And there was another guy here in town in Poway that was recommending that Mike Devine should come on the podcast as a guest and just talk about masks. I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. Um, in the whole scheme of things, masks are not that big of a deal, or at least it's not something we should dwell on. But still, let's talk about them for a little bit. Um, Now, obviously, wearing a mask 
is important, you know, and a mask helps keep you safe and it helps keep other people safe. And when there's a virus going around, yeah, I mean, especially when you want to do biz, business with certain companies and they have a mask requirement to do business, okay, that's their rules and their, their turf and you abide by their rules. But, you know, it gets to another level where there's a lot of people that are doing mask shaming, right? That's a big thing you see on social media. Like if you're not wearing a mask and, oh, my God, are you spreading the infection? And and then it becomes this virtue signaling, this shaming kind of thing. Well, to me, this idea of a vaccine passport is almost taking this mask shaming thing and making it like legal, <laughs> having the force of government behind it or or much greater peer pressure associated with it. It's like, um, yeah, it's like, show me your papers is what this, it's like a scarlet letter, just as Yuri said. To me, it's a little bit scary. Now, what's interesting is there's been all kinds of reaction, right? And normally, you would, the way it kind of works out is you think about this politically, right? We have our friends on the left, our more progressive friends. They tend to be much more aligned with, with following the rules, wearing the masks, and being compliant with the law uh, as a general rule. And then also as a general rule, our friends on the right, our conservative friends, tend to be resistant to mask wearing, might um, challenge the whole idea. And then, you know, some people that are on the edge, like our friend Mike Devine, who who just vehemently will not wear a mask unless he is forced to. Um, So we we see the whole spectrum there, but generally it kind of lines up, you know, are people on the left are generally mostly compliant and people on the right are mostly compliant too, but there's still a little friction there from our friends on the right. Well, in Florida, the governor there, his name's Ron DeSantis. And, you know, in Florida, they've been very open with their economy, kind of the opposite of California. And in many ways, you see a lot of people try to compare California to Florida and case counts and everything else. And I'm not going to go down that line. But definitely in Florida, the the governor there is a very strong conservative, and he is trying to urge his state legislature to make it illegal to use vaccine passports. He wants to make them illegal, not just for the government not to use them, but he also wants it to be illegal for private businesses to be able to demand proof of a vaccine. And this is funny because... Normally, our really hardcore conservative friends um, are usually the ones that want voter ID. They're the ones that want to make sure that, you know, this whole idea of show me your papers. They really want that when people vote. But now when it comes to the vaccine, they don't want the papers. You know, they so which is kind of a odd contradiction. They want more of a police state when it comes to voting, but no police state at all when it comes to the the passport, the vaccine passport. Uh, Pete Neal on the live stream chiming in. My vaccine card with both records is now filled with my was now filed with my passport. Yeah, good for you, Pete. Um, I haven't gotten my vaccine yet. I'm getting my first one on April 20th. So my second one will be what four weeks later. And where will I keep that card? Yeah, probably with my passport, you know, in that we have like a little safe where we keep our passports and a few other important documents. I'll probably put it there and um, hopefully I don't have to carry it around with me, you know, the, the proof of vaccine. But it's also interesting, too, like, again, more contradictions. I mean, you know, besides the fact that our more conservative friends demand voter ID, they want papers 
to vote, but they don't want papers like Ron DeSantis when it comes to the vaccine. But then our friends on the left, okay, our more progressive friends, they'll say, my body, my choice. But then on the other hand, we're seeing them are the ones that are demanding vaccines. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm pro-vaccine. I, I know there's a lot of anti-vaxxers, and that's a kind of a whole other story. And we can go down that as a tangent. Um, in fact, there's a, there's a person here in Poway who um, I've spoken with numerous times um, who has been an outspoken person against vaccines. Um, her child, uh, her first child has autism, and I think she thought there was a link between the two. And, and that apparently has been disproven um, scientifically. I don't know the details of all of that, but you know, there's a certain percentage of society very anti-vaccine. Now, I'm very pro-vaccine, pro-science, okay? My wife works in the healthcare industry. I'm just very pro-science, pro-vaccine. But at the same time, I'm also pro-choice, right? My body, my choice. If you don't want a vaccine, you should be allowed to not have a vaccine. Um, but there's a lot of people that think not only should people carry around these vaccine passports, but they believe some people on the extreme might want those vaccines to be mandatory, that's where it gets kind of tricky, too. Now, right now, we're just talking about vaccine passports, not necessarily going the full distance and saying you're required by law to have a vaccine. But that's kind of the direction it's leaning in. Uh, Pete Neal says on the live stream, upon getting the second shot, I was advised to keep the card with my passport. Yeah, that's actually not a bad idea, especially if you have to travel somewhere that requires a passport there's probably a good chance you're going to need that proof of vaccination, especially in, in nations that have blocked American travelers, right? I mean, there's a whole number of countries are banning um, tourists from America from visiting. And when they start opening up, there's no doubt they're going to be asking for proof. Again, I think the vaccination passport idea makes sense in the context of a travel passport, I understand it from that level, and I understand it, you know, in terms of your child and registering for school. But the question is, does this need to be pervasive throughout society? Does a vaccine passport need to be something that you might need to show a movie theater just to get in the door or a nightclub or a restaurant or any other place of business? Imagine, you know, to go into a healthcare facility, which you have to show proof of, of vaccination. That's, that's my concern is how far could this idea possibly go? Now, of course, if businesses, a private business, if they decided we only want to allow people in our business that have been vaccinated and they're going to be hardcore, they're going to put a bouncer at the door and they're going to say, show me proof of a vaccination to be let in. Now, I don't think that's a good idea, but I still think they should have the right to do it. I mean, it's their business, right? They should be able to pick and choose their customers, but it's not a good idea because it, well, not only is it not a good idea in general for society, just take, making it more difficult for us to cooperate and, and trade with one another, but frankly, it's bad for the business. If he's limiting the customers and limiting his opportunity to, to sell products and services, um, and then you think, God, if they had a, a vaccine passport, how far do you think some people might want to go with it? So it's one thing if it's with COVID, right? But would people want to ensure that you have a vaccine to enter 
uh, a place of business that you have to have the chickenpox vaccine, the measles vaccine. I mean, the whole list of them that we get as a kid. Imagine if you had to show that every time he went in to do a business. And then what if he went a step further? I mean, the flu is a very transmittable disease and there's a flu vaccine every year. Would businesses or even the government, would they mandate that you have to get a flu vaccine in order to enter certain facilities? Could it come to that? Because once you start making this normalized, well, then it kind of sets the stage for more of this kind of thing to go on. Pat Johnson on the live stream, he says, I travel a lot internationally. And for, and unfortunately, the vaccine right now does nothing for you. Quarantines are still required. Yeah. Well, Pat, I, I do know you travel a lot. I love when you post um, some of the photos of you up in, uh, in Scandinavia. Um, good for you. And yeah, when you travel, I think, isn't there like a, a mandatory quarantine, even if you go to Hawaii, I think. But yeah, if you go to certain countries, you got to isolate yourself for a week or two. So yeah. Pete Neal says, um, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is not a personal thing. It is for the society as a whole, which means everyone must protect the goal of all those included in that society. Yeah, I mean, Pete, I want to get into that because there is definitely some truth in what you're saying. And I, I want to break that down a bit. Pete says personal thing is like an individual thing, right? Well, let's well, let's get into that for a minute here. So again, I, I talk about our inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is sort of the the higher purpose of this podcast, right? And we look through the lens of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness on a lot of issues. When we're looking at, well, Pete, we did his uh, you know Corvette happiness podcast about his pursuit of happiness with his Corvette Calypso. And we've talked a lot about um, liberty within the context of politics. And we talk a lot about life on this podcast just like we did to kick it off talking about Chris Paddock and believing in yourself and self-esteem. So those inalienable rights of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, some people embrace them to the point where they say, and I think this is your point, Pete, to the point where they say, I have liberty and I can do what I want, period, end of sentence. (laughs) And as though they can they can move about in society expressing their liberty, doing what they want, and it doesn't matter what anyone else says or thinks. Well, that's not exactly understanding what life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness really is all about. And I think this is what you're getting to, Pete. But the point I think is important to understand is is that the other guy— also has inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We all do. And while you can express your own liberty by doing the things that you want, the other people also have those same rights. So taking the example of a mask, in my opinion, you should have the liberty to not wear a mask. But when you go into a place of business— like into, say, Target here in Poway, they also have their own rights to establish their own policies in their place of business, and they can require people to come in to wear a mask. So the the point being, the other guy has rights too. So 
while we talk about this notion of a vaccine passport, some might think, well, I don't want to have to get a vaccine passport because that's just an invasion of my privacy. And I don't want to have to show my papers because this is America and it's about freedom. Well, there's certain truth to that. But at the same time, other people have rights too. They can demand it if you want. Now, I'm not saying demanding a vaccine passport is a good idea. I'm just saying that they have a right to it as well. That's the thing with freedom is that some people make choices that maybe aren't that smart or maybe have downside for other folks. Um, but it, it is interesting when you look at it from that perspective, because some people have this false notion that if you aren't wearing a mask, then you must therefore be infected and therefore you're a risk. But that's not necessarily true. You, there is no proof that a person without a mask has the virus. They might. They might and they know it, which would be horribly irresponsible. Frankly, if they have the virus and they know they have the virus and they go about through society not wearing a mask, they are clearly violating the rights of other people by infecting them. But there are also people that may have the virus and not realize they have the virus and go about in society not wearing a mask that they might be harming others, but they might not. So a lot of times I think our, our friends that are really hardcore with masks will make the false assumption that people that aren't wearing masks must be infected. And some people might think that is the conservative and proper way to think that we have to assume the worst. But when we assume the worst, then what it ends up doing is it it could potentially, you know, in some cases, especially if the government does it, violate the rights of the person that is expressing their liberty by not wearing a mask. So if you take it a step further to wearing to the whole notion of a vaccine passport, if again, if a private business wants to demand a vaccine passport to get into their, let's just say, a movie theater, it's their right to do it because they get to set the rules for their place of business. But I don't think that's a smart idea. I mean, from a broader perspective, for a societal perspective, when we're creating all these qualifiers to, to really just get in and, and do business and trade, but they should have the right to do it. But if the government does it, that's a whole different ballgame, right? Now, the government is supposed to secure our inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But a lot of times they violate it. I mean, you could ask George Floyd. We're going through the, the Derek Chauvin trial right now. Breonna Taylor. Cases where the police have gone in and killed others have, you know, essentially became the police and the judge and jury all wrapped into one and actually killed people. Um, we even see that to a large degree with TSA at airports. You know, you're, you're searched and there's no warrant. There's no probable cause. But imagine if you go on an air, in an airport and TSA, which are government employees or acting on behalf of the government, are demanding a vaccine passport just to get on an airplane, just to fly domestically, like from San Diego to Las Vegas or San Francisco. Is that a good idea? Now, again, the airline might have a policy for it. It's their airline. And they want to, they want to prevent people that don't have a vaccine from joining them on the airplane. You know, go for it. It's their airline. But should the government do it? 
That's an interesting question. Um, because if the government is preventing people from going on an airplane without a vaccine passport, then they are limiting their life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, even though they're supposed to protect it. And they're basically assuming that if you don't have a vaccine passport card or you have a digital version on your smartphone, that you therefore must be infected. But if you're not infected, then there's no reason. If you're innocent and you're not infected, then you really shouldn't have your rights violated in the first place. So you can see how this gets really weird, how depending on your point of view, the vaccine passport could be a great thing or it could be a horrible thing. Now, I tend to lean more towards the horrible thing side of it because I think it can be horribly misused. I think it can set up a precedent where it would be pervasive throughout society where you'd have to, you know, show your papers just to do everyday things in life. That's too much. And if government is establishing the guidelines is what they're doing right now. They're not necessarily making it a mandatory policy by government, but government regulators are struggling and trying to figure out what guidelines they could offer to private businesses on how to manage their way through this. I mean, this is going to potentially be very, very tricky. But it's weird that Florida Governor Ron DeSantis passed a law or hasn't passed a law. He wants to urge his state legislature to pass a law to make vaccine passports 100 percent illegal. You can't do that because, again, that private business like a movie theater or a nightclub or restaurant, I mean, any kind of place where there would be people gathering in large groups, maybe with a low roof and the circulation may not be all that great. They should have a right, if they choose, to establish their own policies. So it's just it's crazy now. And then never mind the fact that, you know, your, your vaccine is part of your healthcare record, right? And your healthcare records are supposed to be private. That data is supposed to be protected. But now suddenly you've got to show proof. And right now they're just saying it's for the COVID vaccine. But like I said, it could go down the line. You mean, and this whole thing, it's like, you know, it's the, the how do they say that? The camel's nose um, under the tent. This could turn into a much bigger thing if it's not carefully managed. Pat Johnson on the live stream chiming in when individual rights or freedoms can hurt or may harm others around you, then societal norms come into play. And as we know, there are guidelines for that. Yeah, I agree with you there, Pat. You can't violate the rights of other people. Even though you have freedom, you can't go around killing people. If your pursuit of happiness is to go punch people in the nose, you can't do that. Right. So because the other guy has rights, too. So I I agree with you there, Pat. Uh, People should take into account the life on others around us when we take actions, but we don't because we have become a society of me. Well, again, I think it's it's one thing to think about, you know, a society of me, right? You do have individual rights. Your life matters. You should be all that you can be. And live a great life, a flourishing life, and pursue your happiness, not society's happiness, not your wife's happiness or your friend's happiness or, you know, President Biden's happiness, Donald Trump's happiness. You, you should pursue your happiness. So f- focusing on yourself, not a bad thing, but to your point, 
the other guy has rights too. So while you're pursuing your happiness, you can't violate the rights of other people. You can't harm their life or thwart their liberty. You essentially can't use coercion on other, on other people. And so, again, I think that's the delicate balance that sometimes people don't get. When, you know, we're here in Poway and you go down the street here um, at Pomerado and Twin Peaks and there's every weekend there's political protesters out there. I was told, by the way, that last Sunday the Biden people were out, but the Trump people were not, which is interesting because the Trump people have been out there every weekend, even after the November election. Did they just give up or was my report incomplete? Maybe they showed up later in the day. I don't know. But sometimes our friends on the right, um, especially our Trump friends, will demand freedom for themselves and demand that their rights are protected for themselves, but don't really understand that other people have rights, too. And you can't violate their rights. Then on the other hand, our friends on the left are so concerned about violating the rights of other people that sometimes they want to limit the rights of individuals to pursue their happiness. So again, there's lots of conflict around this. I always liken it to bubbles kind of floating in space. And as a bubble, you can float and you can move and you can pursue your own happiness, but you can't bang into someone else's bubble, right? You can move freely in that empty space in between. And to me, that's what it's supposed to be about. Um, when it comes to rights. And so when it comes to this thing like a vaccine passport, well, this could be set up in such a way that if if you don't have a vaccine passport, well, and you're not inoculated, you don't have the vaccine, you could be prevented from participating in everyday things in society. You could be prevented from going to a grocery store or you know, doing whatever you do. Um, do we want to get into a society where it becomes like so aggressive, like a police state where people are constantly demanding your papers? And again, if once you start doing it for COVID, it it can start to expand. I mean, what else are we going to screen people for? At what point does this become extraordinarily intrusive into your privacy? There's very interesting moral and ethical questions that need to be asked. Um, Pete Neal says exactly in a world, in a word, civility. Yeah, I agree with you, Pete. We have to have civility. Essentially, we have to have respect for other people. We have to have respect for their rights. While we're, we're pursuing our happiness, we can't violate their rights in our, in our pursuit. Yuri Bolin goes on to say 1984 or Soylent Green, take your pick. Yeah, that's sort of the the ugly downside to this. That's the dystopian sci-fi novel where it turns into a George Orwell kind of a piece where you've got news speak and, you know, cameras watching you. And we're seeing a lot of that now, by the way, which is kind of scary. So I'm curious to see how this whole thing goes because people want to open up the, the economy, right? Frankly, the economy should have been opened up a long time ago, in my opinion, but they want to open it up. They want to open it up safely. I get that. And that's why people want to see these, these vaccine passports. Pete Neal goes on to say, Yuri, probably Soylent Green in my case, as in 1984, I was fighting with the city of Poway over zoning impacts when residential property bordered commercial property. <laughs> yeah. Well, 
1984. I, I, I remember that I read that novel, I think when I was in high school and it's amazing how often it comes up in conversation now, not just in terms of this business with COVID vaccine, but in terms of like the surveillance with the Patriot Act and all that. I mean, it's, it's interesting how a lot of that futuristic dystopian stuff, we're seeing element, elements of it now in our society and it's very normalized. And if you object to it, then they say, well, what, who, what are you doing? Are you on the side of terrorists? You know, they always spin it that way. Um, and so like in this case here, if you don't have a, a COVID vaccine or a COVID vaccine passport, well, what? What's your deal? You, you want to spread? You want to get people sick? You want to kill children? Right? You see how it turns into this, this bizarro world. Um, so the, the thing that beyond just the privacy issues and the data and it's supposed to be your medical health care record, right? That, that should be private. That's going to get in the hands of a lot of other people. What are they going to do with it? What other things could happen with it? Then you also wondered, is it going to create like a two-tiered sort of caste system where you've got the vaccinated and the unvaccinated and they're treated differently? I mean, to use an extreme example, like Jim Crow laws, you know, where the vaccinated can use this drinking fountain and the unvaccinated, you have to use that drinking fountain. I know that's an extreme example, but extreme analogy, but is it going to evolve into that where it's literally a two-tiered system? Um, And then- Poor people are the ones that are going to be less likely to get the vaccine, right? Because maybe they have trouble getting to a clinic where they're delivering the vaccine or, you know, they're struggling, you know, just trying to survive. Maybe they haven't gotten the vaccine or maybe they're not organized to get a vaccine passport card. The poor people might be the ones that end up really suffering from this, which is really the opposite intent of what some of our, our, our vaccine passport proponents probably want. So there's a downside to it. And there, I mean, other, there, this is another crazy one. And this was posted on Twitter and it was from the Libertarian Party of Kentucky. And they, they posted, are the vaccine passports going to be the yellow shaped like star and sewn on our clothes? Now, this is going way out there in terms of making an analogy, but essentially saying, is this going to be similar to how the Jews were treated in Nazi Germany? Now, that's a very out there analogy, but it's making a, what I think is a fair point. Is there going to be a two-tiered society? And are those that don't have the vaccine passport going to see their life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness dramatically curtailed? Are they going to be treated as though they're diseased when they may not even have the virus in the first place? Pete Neald um, or Pat Johnson says, in my travels, I run across checkpoints and show me your papers and it's no fun. Yeah, it's just. um, Yeah, yeah. Show me your papers. No fun. I mean, it's one thing to be pulled over by a cop. and You got to show your papers. And but sometimes you got to show your papers before you can even engage in the discussion. Sometimes you have to show your papers just so you can go through a checkpoint. Now, it's one thing to see that in some oppressive regime, but this is the United States of America. This is the land of the free and the home of the brave. And are we going to get to a point where there's going to be more and more of these checkpoints and show me your papers? Could it turn into that? Pete Neald on the live stream says, perhaps governmental travel requirements, vaccine passports of the future 
only come into play when the threat involves greater than 500,000 lives. Yeah, well, then that goes to the point P of like, where do you draw the line? You know, and what's the principle, right? If it's just a matter of degree, you know, what's the principle of the matter? Where do you draw the line? Now, right now, we can get on an airplane and we could have the flu, right? We could be extraordinarily contagious with the flu and get on an airplane. You know, that way that air circulates. I mean, now, now let me take a, a little tangent on this. Did I hear, now I, I may get my facts wrong on this, but did I hear that the air circulated through airplanes is actually a lot cleaner than people think it is because it's filtered so well and they built filtration systems? I don't know if I'm right or not. But still, if you're in a close proximity of people and there's someone that's, you know, sneezing and coughing and if they're sitting next to you or the row behind you, it's uncomfortable, right? But people can get on an airplane now with flu. I'm not saying they should, but it's legal. Um, where do you draw the line? If someone gets on a plane and they have symptoms of just a common cold, they have a stuffy nose, should they be allowed on an airplane? Good question, right? You can see where this might lead. Um, and right now, our norms in society give people the freedom to act freely as long as you're not harming others. But if you assume that everyone is sick, then suddenly we have no liberties because you have to constantly be proving that you are healthy in order to essentially exercise your rights. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Pete, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is, is a big part of this. Um, but it's important to understand that the other guy also has rights to his life, to his liberty, and to his pursuit of happiness. I say his, I mean his or her. His or her life, his or her liberty, and his or her pursuit of happiness. They have those same rights too. So if you're knowingly infected with anything, not just COVID, measles, chicken pox, um, the flu, anything. Um, and, and if you're knowingly infected and you go about society and potentially infecting others, I mean, you're frankly violating their rights. I think, isn't there a law that if you knowingly have HIV and then have you know sex with someone else and then they get it, then you could be sued? That actually kind of makes sense. If you know you have it, and yet you irresponsibly go out and spread it. That's not all that much different from a guy with a gun just certain of shooting in random directions. If you know you have it, you can't be spreading it. But if we assume that everyone is essentially guilty until proven innocent, infected unless proven to have the vaccine passport, well, then that kind of creates a whole other dynamic here. Um Pete Neal says, yes, you are. As long as the APUs are running, the air is exchanged on average about four to five times normal. So I think, Pete, what you're probably saying there is that the air filtration in an airplane, like a 737 or something, is actually very clean. That's, I, I remember I, I learned that recently. It's, it, that doesn't, you know, for a layman that doesn't understand the science and the technology behind it, that's amazing. But it's cool. Again, technology ends up solving a lot of this, right? In so many categories of life, technology is what saves the day and keeps us safer and at the same time protects our rights. 
Pat Johnson goes on to say, yes, planes have two HEPA filter systems and the air is constantly in circulation. And every two minutes, the entire plane is replaced with new air. Wow. So they don't let the air in from the outside, do they? Like, because you're at 30,000 feet, right? So there must not be much oxygen. So they must have oxygen tanks, I assume, that are pumping in fresh air through the course of the flight. That's my assumption. But it is interesting how an airplane is probably the cleanest air, but you know if they have a vaccine passport and that becomes mandatory, let's just say, then I'd imagine airports are probably the one that is going to be the most seriously enforced, not just for international travel, but even for domestic. So sometimes science is ignored. And that's my assumption if it ever turned into that. So I know I, it's kind of like for me, I, I'm not a fan of voter ID because I think there's some parallels here. It's funny. Like I said, our conservative friends demand, show me your papers in order to vote, but they don't want it for the vaccine passport. I'm of the belief that if you have a right to something, you shouldn't have to qualify or prove that you're qualified to exercise a right. So I've always been of the belief that if you have a right to vote, then you should be able to vote. I mean, it's not like they need to screen you. Now, granted, to register to vote, yeah, there's a process and the registration process, you need to show that you are who you say you are. I get that. But when you vote, you shouldn't have to show a voter ID because voting is a right. So the whole idea of show me your papers to me conflicts with what a right should be. Now, in this case with a vaccine passport, I understand it when it comes to schools. I understand it for international travel. I get that. Granted, I'm not absolute on this either. I I don't have a firm principle here as much because I understand why it exists in other cases. Maybe I could attempt to debate or challenge those, but I'm not going to go there. But I just worry that this could be, you know, because our hardcore mask proponents, I could see some of them just really running with this whole passport vaccine or excuse me, vaccine passport. I could see them running with it and being militant about it and demanding that you have a vaccine passport just to do, I don't know, go to a dry cleaner or, you know, do anything in life. Go to the store, go to the movie theater, go to a nightclub, go to a restaurant, go wherever you're going, you know, go to, go to a healthcare facility. I saw someone bring up an interesting, a crazy example. And is what if you were a battered woman and you couldn't get out of the house and cause you're, and your, your, your husband who was beating you up, wouldn't let you get out and even get a vaccine. And then somehow, some way, miraculously you escape And you find your way to a shelter that cares for battered women, but they won't let you in if you don't have a COVID vaccine. (laughs) That would be awful. Now, granted, that's an extreme example as well, but you could see how this kind of could play out where it could really harm people. Um, Pat Johnson says airplanes use 40% of recycled air, the HEPA filter and from the HEPA filter and 60% fresh air from outside. Okay. So that's cool. So they get, they get air from the outside. So I guess there's enough oxygen at 30 or 40,000 feet or whatever they fly at. But that's great, isn't it? Again, technology saves the day. So 
Um, all right. So just a couple of closing quotes on this. And again, I want to thank you for those of you that have been listening and watching the whole time. And Pat and Pete, thank you for chiming in on the live stream. I appreciate it. I know you guys are my, some of my loyal listeners and, and viewers. Thank you. Really appreciate it. And I enjoy the conversation. That's the main thing about this podcast is for me that inspires me to keep going with this. It's not so much that I want to be here on my soapbox and telling you what I think and, you know, I, it's not about that. I just enjoy the discussion. Uh, I, I'm not saying everything I know is right or if I be, everything I believe is accurate. Sometimes people are going to think differently than me and we may disagree. But if we disagree, we can talk it out. Like civilized, rational people. Not like screaming, talking heads on television or not like the crazy people on social media. But we can actually listen and think and try to understand the other person. That's why, again, I love having guests on this podcast. And I really, I probably should pursue more guests, but it's just with doing it remotely, it's just kind of awkward and it loses the dynamic. I would love to have more guests come back into my studio. I'm trying to figure out when it's safe to do that. Now, from my perspective, you know, our house is well ventilated and I'm sure we can pull it off safely. But I worry that if I have guests here in this podcast and we're doing it, what I believe is safe, you know, we could be six feet apart, the whole thing. I'm sure there'd be a bunch of haters (laughs) that would be like trying to tear me down. Like, who the hell are you doing this? But then again, I, like I even said at the top of the podcast, we have to believe in ourselves, and we can't listen to the haters and the people that tear us down. Pete Neal on the live stream says, yes, thanks, Pat. I was just an engine guy back in the day. So, yeah, so this is cool, too. Again, Pete and Pat, I don't know if you two know each other. I I know Pat Johnson through Poway National Little League. I know Pete Neal because we met through this podcast. He was a candidate for city council. And gosh, we've done how many episodes together, Pete? Like 12 or 13. Um, I'm a real big fan of both. Pat and Pete, but it's cool that now Pat and Pete are interchanging and hopefully they're, they're already friends or they're becoming friends. And that's kind of a cool thing too, about making this podcast sort of a community platform and we can learn from one another. Okay. So I got a couple of closing quotes and before I do, once again, you know, follow me on social media, John Riley project on Facebook, the John Riley project insiders group on Facebook, which is another one you can get on. A little smaller group, a little more intimate conversation. You got to answer a few questions to get in, but I let everyone in. Um, And you can follow on Twitter and you can even go to my website, johnreillyproject.com. I've got all the podcast episodes there. I've got some blogs that I've written and um, you can sign up to get on our mailing list at johnreillyproject.com slash subscribe. And then of course you can go there and go to johnreillyproject.com slash connect. And there you'll see all the links to all of our social media platforms. So you can join and follow and we can continue the conversation there. Um, Pat Johnson says, I enjoy spending a couple of hours a week listening to your show, intelligent conversation, great thoughts and other perspective. Well, Pat, thank you. Thank you very much for listening. And maybe when you're traveling internationally, you know, you can still listen, right? Whether you're catching it live, there's the recorded versions available, but thank you for that. I appreciate that. Um, Okay, so a couple of closing quotes. And this one, the first one is from Justin Amash. And and I I talked a lot about Justin Amash in 2020. Remember, he was, or no, excuse me, 
was it 20? Well, it's actually in 2019 and 2020. So Justin Amash is the former congressman from Michigan. He was a Republican. Then he switched parties and became independent. And then he later switched parties to join the Libertarian Party. And he flirted with the idea of running for president in 2020. And he had an interesting quote. He says, a vaccine passport, a essentially a unified centralized system for providing or denying access to everyday activities like shopping and dining would be a nightmare for civil liberties and privacy, and it would exasperate existing social disparities connected to wealth, privilege, and race. Yeah, there's something to be said there. Now, when he posted that on Twitter, he got a flood of haters that were trying to tear him down because they said, oh, you must be promoting people spreading the virus. You know, again, people don't a lot of people just don't understand what our basic rights are in America, and which makes America special, in my opinion, makes America truly exceptional. But some people don't get it, and they want to limit everyone else's rights. And then when you start talking about protecting individual rights, they think you're being, A, selfish, and they think you want to harm everyone else. And that's not really the intent of it, because the other guy has rights, too. Pete Neal on the live stream chiming in. John, you know, uh, you now know I have put Apple CarPlay in Calypso. Yay. Now, which app is the best one for listening to your podcasts on that system? Well, listen to Apple Podcasts. Get the Apple Podcasts app. And, you know, it used to be iTunes. And then about a year or so ago, Apple has a separate app just for podcasts. So just go there. And you type in John Riley Project and you can subscribe or essentially follow and you will get all the episodes and you can get updates every time we post a new one. And, and you can listen to my, my voice as you drive around town or better yet, Pete, um, as you drive around town, you can go pull up an old episode and you can listen to yourself <laughs> in one of the podcasts when we're having a conversation, just you and me. And you can relive those magical moments. Um, Pat Johnson says, uh, before you close, since you brought up the NCAA basketball, give a shout out to USC, UCLA and Oregon showing great and UCLA in the final four. And yeah, and that's a good one. And Pat, I know you're a big SC fan. Um, amazing that we had three of the final eight teams in the elite eight, three of them were from the PAC 12 conference. It's unbelievable. And then when you add in Gonzaga, really half of the elite eight was West coast. That's cool. I mean, they said this year for the final four, this is the first year that all four teams are west of the Mississippi River. That's incredible. I remember one time in my, one of my old jobs, my boss told me two thirds of the people in America live east of the Mississippi River and one third live west. Because we were looking at demographics and different markets and, 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 the, and the like, and that's a good general rule. West Coast basketball also doesn't get a lot of respect. You know, the East Coast media, they love their old school basketball people, especially like New York basketball. And, you know, it's part of that East Coast mentality, especially remember back in the 80s with the Big East Conference, Georgetown and St. John's and Villanova and Providence. Um, I'm sure I'm leaving some out. Oh, Seton Hall. But it's great to see West Coast basketball. And the, the crazy part of this is, this is, again, the San Diego sports curse. Who has been unquestionably 
the best program in the West Coast for the last decade? Well, of course, it's Gonzaga. But who's number two? San Diego State Aztecs. But they got knocked out in the first round. And then Oregon State and UCLA and um, UCLA, USC, UCLA, and Oregon State all make it. It just shows you sometimes the, the tournament's a crapshoot. And San Diego State beat UCLA in the regular season. And, and supposedly, Pat, is that in previous years, in previous pre-COVID years, they always allow one intra-squad scrimmage that's behind closed doors before the season starts. And usually San Diego State will play USC. And no one's supposed to report on it. They keep the score uh, quiet, but usually word leaks out. And often San Diego State beats USC in those games. But San Diego State loses in the first round. SC, congratulations. Trojans made it to Elite Eight. He had that one. What's the one ball player on the on the team that I watched last night? He's really good. Then your head coach, Andy Enfield, he was the one that was coaching that Florida Gulf Coast team that steamrolled the Aztecs like three or four years ago in the tournament in the round of 32. So then he gets hired at SC. Then he gets the Elite Eight. So good for them. I'm sharing the love. Uh, Pat Johnson says, uh, this is hard to say, but go Bruins. Yeah, you got to root for the West Coast teams. I remember one year I filled out my bracket and I submitted my one bracket of all the the way that I thought it was going to go. But I made another bracket and I said, I'm just because I love rooting for the West Coast teams. I said, whoever is further west, I'll pick. And I knew it was kind of a joke ballot, but I did it anyways for fun. And of course, I had a terrible score. Um, but it's nice to see West Coast basketball doing really well. Pete Neal says, you going to Pahrump again? Uh, good chance Calypso and I are going to Spring Mountain May 1st and 2nd, track time. Well, Pete, I, I don't have plans to go to Pahrump again, but if you're going to the track, I might join you for that because I'd like to see that. Um, I walk, I went over there to Spring Mountain and checked out the course, and I think I shared some photos with you there, but I didn't go inside. I just went up. There's like a gift shop, and I checked that out. And then up above the gift shop, there's like a little uh, – you know, rooftop patio that it gives you a nice view of the, of the race course. And I saw that, but I'll tell you what, if you're going, I will go and cheer you on, on the track. I think that'd be fun. So um, yeah, that's something else we can do. Okay. One more final quote here as we close out. And this is from Edward Snowden. And remember Edward Snowden is the former government employee that worked for the NSA that ratted out all of the surveillance that was being done. And by the way, you know, the, the all part of the Patriot Act, which by the way, started with George W. Bush, the Patriot Act typically associated with our more conservative friends, our friends on the right. But when President Obama was elected, he expanded the Surveillance Act. Edward Snowden caught him, called him out, said he was violating the Fourth Amendment, and then Obama had to scale back the program. Now, I don't know where the NSA program stands now in terms of being... Um, in, 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 in terms of being aligned with our civil liberties. But Edward Snowden always speaks out about this, and he is still essentially blacklisted from coming to America because he, once he steps foot on American soil, they're probably going to put him in trial and string him up you know, for violating American secrets, even though he was calling out the United States for violating our inalienable rights. But I digress. And so Edward Snowden has this a great quote, and he says, arguing that you don't care about the right to privacy because you have nothing to hide is no different than saying you don't care about free speech because you have nothing to say. 
So we see this all the time, you know, with checkpoints and surveillance and all these other things and, and potentially with this, this, um, uh, this vaccine passport. Well, you know, if, if you got nothing to hide, if, if you're not infected, then you got nothing to worry about. You know, you just got to jump through the hoop. Um, but when you say that your privacy should be violated and it's acceptable because you have nothing to hide, then you're basically saying it's acceptable for your privacy to be violated. And that's where there's abuse. And usually the people that are promoting that abuse because they want the more rigorous police state are the ones that are encouraging these are rights to be chipped away. And that's what we see. I mean, if you look at our Bill of Rights, we can go down the list. Every one of those is is threatened to some degree, some in far greater um, amounts than others. And we could talk all day about the Second Amendment, but the First Amendment, in this case, the Fourth Amendment, which is your right to privacy, one of the most important amendments to the Constitution, the Fourth Amendment. And yeah, arguing that you don't have the right to privacy because you have nothing to hide is no different than saying you don't care about free speech because you have nothing to say. So I think that's a good quote. Okay. Um, my friends, you know, it's funny, is about, gosh, I, I got out of my meeting at noon and then I had to run an errand and I had to come back, take care of things for business. And the whole time I was, I didn't know what I was going to talk about. And I pulled this kind of podcast together in about 30, 45 minutes. And thank you for listening and watching. And I thought, I won't have much to say. This will be like a 30-minute podcast. And here we are in an hour and 12 minutes. But that's only possible because Pat and Pete, thank you for chiming in on the live stream. It gives us an opportunity to have a dialogue. So thank you for that. Okay, I'm signing off. This is John Riley. This is episode number 218 of the John Riley Project. We will be back at you Friday at two, hopefully back at two, um, as my schedule permits. And have a great day, friends. We'll see you. Bye-bye.